Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I talk to former classmates from Wissahickon High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. I want to thank Pete Baker and Joe Ronka again for episode 242, available in the archives everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, full video of the guys at my place at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. Head over there and subscribe to the channel. Give the podcast five stars if you're on Apple Podcasts. It helps me out. And you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School. This week, my guest is Coach Kyle Wilson of the Boys Varsity Basketball Team. Coach Wilson is also a Wissahickon graduate, class of 1985, and he's an English teacher in the middle school. Coach came back to the district once I was already in high school. Of course, on social media, we all kind of know each other, using air quotes, but I didn't know any of Coach's story growing up here and then coming back. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Coach Kyle Wilson. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I love your shirt. Oh, thank you, man. I wore, obviously wore it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had on my maxi shirt earlier. I got one offline. I was loving his game last night, so. Well, I'm glad to have you on here, Coach, uh, because, you know, it's funny. Um, I don't think I knew you much at all when I was, you know, during my year of 2001 and really just from, like, following following you and the team every year, you know, every season, just seeing what the team's up to. I'd say of all the sports, the men's basketball team is the only team I actually keep up with every year. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I was fortunate. I see you around school, but yeah, I mean, I started, I think when you were already in high school, my first year was like 98, 99. Um, I remember like my first class I taught was like Tom Pettit's class, you know, uh, and like uh, Tommy Ganjemi's class. I was eighth grade. And then um, my first, I was uh, just sort of watching my first year. I think I, I might've did baseball at the middle school, my first year, I didn't coach any basketball. Um, and so I think Brady Finnegan, those guys might've been like juniors. Mm -hmm. um, they might've been sophomores. And I came on, I think maybe their junior year as an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. And then my first year as head coach was with Matt Brady, Danny Coppola, Brian Finnegan. They were my senior captains. And I was fortunate to benefit from, Jack Spinella, the coach before me, he had started George Cortez, Earl Stout. Uh, that was my Moyer, Bill. Yeah, he started those guys. And so I got them as experienced juniors, which is a nice benefit, you know. So, and, but it was it was neat because I got to know kids around Wisp through them. You know what I mean? Because kids would come to the game and I would see them and I would see certain kids, you know, act like wild fans. Do that. I was like, oh, who's that kid? Because I'm fortunate. I've been doing this 20 something years now. I know most of the kids now at the high school games because I've taught them in the middle school. Or I've seen them in the middle school, but that group, your class, like I didn't really know them other than to see them at games, mm -hmm. see them at football games, soccer events. And it was neat, you know, and for me, it was a treat because I had been about 10 years away from Wissickin school district. You now it's where I went, I graduated from. So it was neat to get back and feel that, blue and gold spirit again, you know, so it was fun. Yeah. So what class were you, what cl uh, graduating class would you have been? It was a Hicken. I asked in 1985. 85. Good year. I was two yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was way back then. <laughs> 
So, so uh, where did you grow up then? Were you from Ambler? I, you know, so yes and no. It's sort of like I was a, I guess what they call sort of a lower Gwinnett kid. But I wasn't a little, yeah. my, my mail address was um, Ambler, but I, li- I lived right around the corner from the high school, okay. in the middle school. So if you went down through the woods and made a left on Night Road, came to that stop sign at the bottom, I was the second house on the left. I always found it funny when I came to uh, back to teach, and I remember at the middle school, there was an announcement telling the students on your way home, use the sidewalk, do not walk through the woods. And my first thing was, how do you get home that way? Because I mean, that's all I knew was walking through the woods. I was like, what do you mean don't walk through the woods? That's where all the fights happen. That's where we used to sprint down there, you know, to see what was going on, you know. And that's we all we did was cut through the woods. And I was thinking like, oh, today's climate. They don't want kids walking where they can't see them. But I just remember like, no, don't walk through the woods. That just sounded insane to me. So I lived also, you know, down Hendrick Street, uh, okay. Edgewood Drive. And likewise, that was the only way to go through to go that way. You never yeah. made the proper street turns. You went through right, the woods. Right. right. If you can cut through the woods, it took even if it took three minutes, four minutes, you were taking the shortcut, you know. I think the only time we didn't go through it was rainy and muddy. But even sometimes I think we went through when it was rainy just to hopefully the leaves would keep some of the rain off us or something. The the woods would protect us a little. But yeah, it was funny. I remember hearing that. But yeah, I grew up right around the the corner from the school. So wow, that's so cool. Then then you coming back. Um, when you were in Wizahickon, then um, what was your? I guess what was like the the school like? We've talked to some people, mainly whose you know students whose parents had gone to Wizahickon. Yeah. Uh, but Miss McCracken, who I, I talked to, also went to Wizahickon. So yeah, she was a little bit ahead of me. Um, but you know, I I loved it. I mean, I to me, I still remember the first time I was taking a. Uh, a postgraduate course, you know, as a teacher and uh, the professor of the course asked, you know, how many of you enjoyed your high school experience? And it's a room full of other, you know, teachers. So I'd say 90% of the hands went up. And then when he said, how many you didn't, there was three. And I was like, oh, wow, I never thought it was a great eye opener, you know, talk about perspective because school was fun. You know what I mean? That's where all my buddies were. That's where all the pretty girls were. You know what I mean? That's where I was one in high school, other than a suspension. Um, I had a perfect attendance, you know what I mean? Oh. Like, I, yeah, I didn't miss a day. And my, my parents were the types that if I was sick, it was like, go to school. If you feel better, don't feel better in a little while, call. But by the time I was there with my buddy, they're like, well, might as well, might as well stay to lunch. Then once you stay to lunch, might as well stay to the end of the day. But yeah, it was a fun <laughs> place. I, I really enjoyed it. My, you know, I love sports when I was growing up. I was a bit of a, I was trying to tell, when I tell my students, I was a bit of a class clown, but I knew where the line was drawn. Like mm-hmm. I, like, as soon as, as soon as the teacher used my name, I knew I'd gone too far because most of my stuff I tried to do in the shadows. I tried to be the one not caught. I tried to set my buddies up to get in trouble or, you know, or do things like that. But as soon as they said, Mr. Wilson, I was like, my hands were up, like, got me. Sorry. No need to call home. No need to let anybody know. But I was definitely one that, that enjoyed being in school and loved the fun of being in an educational environment. When you were a kid, you mentioned sports. When you were young, you know, as you're coming up through elementary school, uh, what were you into, you know, as, as a kid? Uh, I, I played baseball. Um, basketball was sort of something that, that came on a little bit later. I, I wanted to do football. I remember at a very young age, my dad, and when I just started really liking basketball to the point that I was like, man, I think this is my sport. My dad was a huge baseball. My dad played at Amber High School and broke a lot of records there. So I always thought like, well, my dad played baseball. I should you know, at least give it a good go. 
but I was one. I was always, I was great at the beginning of the season until one of those pitches came high and inside or hit me. And I probably stood as far away from a plate as you could to try to still hit the ball. <laughs> so I, I think I lacked the toughness for the contact of uh, baseball and football. And I remember my dad walking me across Pickering Field um, for, uh, I think it was at that time, WAC football. I think okay. Bob Osgood might even been running it back then. And I remember heading across the field and my dad saying, you know, if you get hurt during football season, you might miss some of basketball season. I don't think my foot took another step. I think I stopped. I was like, no, I think, I think I'm going to, I don't know if I want to do this because I really I was starting to love basketball, you know, around the sixth, seventh grade age. And that's where I really, you know, start to enjoy that. And I also, I was one of those kids that because we explored a lot, but the kids in my neighborhood, I felt like we grew up like the movie Sandlot. We were right. on our bikes, riding through those woods up what the, where it's now the administration building, but there was a huge, a playground there that had a court that you could dunk on. And so we, we were either playing basketball there, playing wiffle ball or something in somebody's backyard, you know? And so it was just, it was just a great area. And I remember what I loved about when I went away to college was that I always felt the diversity of Wissahickon had prepared me well for going other places. Um, Interesting. I think the one thing that probably did prepare I had never, like when I went to Susquehanna University, there were only, uh, I want to say it was five, five African-American guys on campus. Wow. So I, I knew when the coach, when I went there and spoke to the coach about attending and uh, going to play basketball there. And he said, look, he said, we don't have a great deal of diversity, et cetera. I was thinking like, okay, minimal, but I was still thinking it would be more. There was only three or four black women and like five black guys on campus, like, whoa. I was like, that was a bit of a shock. But everything else I was prepared for, you know? I mean, I went to school with, so Jewish, Asian, you name it. Like, like you just, you were very accepting of everyone. It's just how the environment was that we grew up in. But it was weird to be somewhere that was less accepting at times of me. And that that was something I was like, oh. So I'm not, not used to hearing the N-word and not having my boys somewhere nearby. Yeah, what do you do? And you really had to, like, huh, how am I going to respond in this situation? You know, and thank goodness I was fortunate. I had uh, some really good teammates that uh, one was from Abington, another one was from Easton, and uh, they they always had my back, let's just put it that way. And so if something went down, you know, it, it was not even a, we have your back, it was almost a step in front, like, hey, this isn't going to happen here. And it that, it made my years there at Susquehanna and eventually I transferred to Millersville, but it made my time there much more enjoyable and, and much more comfortable knowing I had individuals that were ride or die, you know, being mm -hmm. in an environment where I was like, huh, how is this going to go down? Cause you know, when I grew up with WIS, if something went down, you always had your buddies, your friends, you know, you had support right. or you knew if something went down, you had backup, somebody would step in if things got real crazy. But when you're, you know, two and a half, three hours away and in an environment where you're like, Man, my, my nearest backup's a, a two and a half, three hour ride. Like, you know, when somebody uses the N word or does something inappropriate, you're sort of like, man, what do you do here? And it was something I wasn't used to because, and not to say there wasn't racism it was when I went through it. It wasn't something that was in the forefront. You know, mm. we, we got along. It was a great environment. That was a fun place to go to school. And when you play sports, a lot of that stuff just sort of washes to the side anyway. So. Yeah. Something that I've talked to a lot of students about was, you know, that impression of when I would look around the the hallways and and I've kind of like used the 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 
you know the the groups that you would see of like the black kids over at the end of k hall and yeah. and the group of white kids over here and and when i've talked to students um they've often talked about like their friend group being pretty pretty similar to them um yeah. i'm biracial so i grew up um you know i grew up in ambler with around black kids white kids but really my my best friends the friends i hung out with on a daily basis were all white Right. Um, what was your, your, I know you said that you got along with everyone and, but what was like your mix of friends like as a kid? So when, when I was doing my Sandlot group, um, it was funny. It was probably the kids right in my neighborhood. They would probably be predominantly, I want to say probably white, but another kid, Dan Johnson around the corner, I would hang with another guy, a legendary kid, Courtney Holmes. But I want to say that was more as I got into seventh, eighth grade and I got more involved in basketball mm. particularly. And you know, it's funny. I, I never thought of that way. Like as I got into seventh, eighth, I think I sort of gravitated towards more of the kids that were football, basketball, and it was a lot of the minority kids that, that I, you know, hung up with. And I knew before elementary school, because even though I was an Amber kid, my family roots are Penland. And okay. so my dad is uh, one of eight, you know what I mean? And all of his siblings, you know, were, were Penland, born and raised. They came up from Virginia when my grandfather moved up. So, you know, my holidays were always down at the school field in Penland, playing with my cousins and stuff like that. So, you know, you got to school, it was sort of like, well, isn't he your friend? I was like, well, yeah, but that's my cousin. You know what I mean? My grandmother was one of nine. My dad, my grandfather was one of seven. So I had a lot of cousins coming through with when I played on the high school basketball team as a sophomore. My cousin Alfie Wilson was a junior. My cousin Lenny Wilson was a senior. Like, and it felt like there was a Wilson that was on the team every year when I came through. So they were just, you couldn't hide from all your cousins and family. So I, I want to say at a younger age playing, you know, wiffle ball and doing stuff in the neighborhood, probably uh, I would say the majority of the kids were, were white where I was. And then, um, you know, as I got into seventh, eighth grade, you know, I think was a mix of them because, you know, in, in basketball and you know other sports you know that's where it was it was a mix of kids so I felt very comfortable it's funny uh I actually started to do tennis in ninth grade oh wow. I had real no no background in tennis but I knew I wanted to do an, another sport and I didn't do I pretty much given up on baseball mm -hmm. I like I said I, I was the, the pitches coming inside wasn't for me same fear. I knew I wasn't doing football and um right as I started to do tennis in ninth grade my dad had uh, found a program over in Abington, this gentleman, Sam Rines. And that's where I started doing year-round basketball three to four nights a week. And just, I wanted to get better, wanted to get better. And it paid off. As a senior, I was able to go on and play in college, you know, and, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of working so hard and laboring to become a better player. Because I was, I was a late bloomer at best. Well, you mentioned your fear of baseball and not maybe not being able to play basketball if you had played football. What yeah. was it that drew you to basketball? You mentioned, you know, class of 85. So I'm imagining sixth, seventh grade. That's when Dr. J first comes to the, oh, to the Sixers. Is that the influence? What was the what was the influence for basketball being the primary, especially since through, you weren't that good? Yeah, I, I would say through, uh, you know, it's funny. I had a crazy experience in I want to say it had to be like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, WAC basketball, like it was a three to four grade age group that you played in. So the kids that were at the top end were really, really good. Mm -hmm. And I played on a team, we were called the Celtics and uh, which 
was horrible to have if you're living in, in the Philadelphia area, but that's with our team. Green shirts, green WAC shirts. Uh-huh. Our first two years, if we played 20 games, I want to say we won maybe one, maybe two games. But then as we became the older guys, like the sixth and seventh graders, seventh eighth graders, we were beating everybody. And I said, man, this is fun. I just really enjoyed the game. But I, on that team, I was still, you know, the rec league was probably third or fourth guy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember I was a huge Dr. J fan. Love the Afro. I think probably every other year, my Halloween cost, costume was my <laughs> Afro and a sweatsuit and a little thing that said Dr. J there. Yeah. The weakest costume, but that's what I wore. Um, but I remember hearing about Mo Cheeks. And I just loved him as a point guard. And I remember when he came in, what is he from Texas Christian? I forget where Mo Cheeks was from, mm. but he wasn't a great shooter. But when he got to the Sixers by his second or third year, if he was open, it was money. And there wasn't, I don't think there was a three-point line there right away, but uh, he was one that uh, I remember hearing that, like he would shoot 400, 500 shots a day to become a better shooter. And I kept thinking like, why? So I became probably a staple in my neighborhood. If you drove down Night Road, oh, there's that Wilson kid out front again shooting. And I would just shoot and shoot. And oh. I, I'd get home, get my homework done because my mom wouldn't let me come out to shoot unless that was done first. And I'd be out in front of my house you know, shooting within 20 minutes. That's, I mean, I made sure my homework was done quickly and I would be out there for hours. I'd come in and eat, go back out and shoot. And, I, and then there was also on the side of the middle school, mm-hmm. there were basketball courts, right where the middle school tennis courts are. Okay. They, they got rid of them years ago, but I would walk up, I would dribble, ball between my legs, back and forth the whole way up to the middle school. And if there were a few guys up there playing, we'd play. And then when I got probably eighth grade, ninth grade, and I could ride my bike. I'd ride to either Penland and play. I'd ride to Knights Park and Ambler. I'd even cruise down past Pickering Field, see if anybody was playing. And I would just look for games to play. And then once I knew there was a regular, hey, we play on Tuesday or we're, we're going to be out there this day. Because we didn't have cell phones to message each other. Right. So you just tried to get there and hope there were guys out there playing. And if it was two on two, three on three, you just played. And so I, that, that sort of was my progression, you know, through high school is just playing basketball every moment I could. So it's funny, you know, cause you mentioning being afraid of the baseball and I, that was definitely a thing for me. Uh, in fact, it was George Cortez who was famous. <laughs> my, my one year doing majors, George, George Cortez was a pitcher and he would always get me in the right thigh. And that was like the thing that was my last year. I just couldn't do it anymore. But similarly, when I would play pickup games, I, we had a court in our, in our neighborhood when I lived in South Ambler, um, okay. So we we'd play down there, but then the Pickering Field and the Knights Park Field, when we'd be up there for baseball, my dad would always tell me, he'd say, "See, that's where like you go to get better. You got to go play with the bigger kids, with the older kids." And I was always so afraid because at, even just in my neighborhood, you know, we'd play with kids who would throw the elbows or they they'd cinch up and then they'd throw their butt into you when you're pl- trying to play play <laughs> defense. And I was so afraid that everything was going to like break out into a fight or I was just yeah. going to get beat up or. Did you, you know, playing with older kids, that's tough, right? How did you acclimate to that pressure? I I think I was very fortunate. I've been blessed to see those individuals that put me under their wing. Um, When I was a freshman, my sister was a senior. And uh, I I somehow, out of 16, 18 grandchildren, I'd never counted how many there are on the Wilson side. I think I'm the tallest at six foot. You know, probably now at this age and weight, I'm probably 5'11". I might have shrunk a little, but... um, (laughs) So, you know, I would go up to the courts and Wissickin had a phenomenal player. He's in the big five Hall of Fame, a guy, Bob Wojcicki, his brother, Steve Wojcicki, was 82. Another guy, Terry Samuels, 
Aaron Dean. And when I would go up, the older guys would all be playing, even if I was in eighth grade. And I would just stand on the sideline dribbling, just wanting to get in, wanting to get in. And finally, like after a game or two, when they started to get tired, Aaron Dean or Terry Samuels would be like, hey, let him play. That's Tracy's little brother. That's, you know, I would get on there and I knew, like, don't fire up a ton of shots, just move the ball, show that you belong on the court, don't act like a fool. And little by little, they would allow me on the court. When I would go, and that was usually up at the middle school, when I would go to Knights Park and to other places, yeah, there was that fear that, like, man, these are older guys, like, you know, and there was that learning process of standing your ground when you call next and somebody walks up and says, now nah, we got next. And you're like, nah, man, I've been here. I was very fortunate. As I mentioned, my cousins that were a couple years ahead of me, my cousin Len, who was two years ahead of me, everybody knew him as Crunch. He <laughs> was name. he was the enforcer. I mean, like, there are a lot of people you mess with. He wasn't one of them. <laughs> and um, I, I remember being in games you know, 10th grade, whatever it might be, ninth grade, out on the courts at Knight Park or something, and words went back and forth, a foul went one way, and it was a discrepancy, and I say, okay, I got to stand my ground. And I'm thinking, man, this guy might knock me out, but I still got to stand here, either take the punch or throw a punch. And somebody would usually walk up behind the guy, and you hear a, and I was like, what are you whispering? The guy's like, well, okay, you, I'm going to let you go today. And I'm thinking, like, what happened? And somebody would go, he told him that Crunch was your cousin. <laughs> so literally my older cousin, he, I mean, his reputation probably got me out of a lot of scuffles. I mean, I was ready to go, but it just, it fizzled. You know, I mean, I had my share, but most of physical, they knew like, man, I don't want his cousin coming after me. Even to the extent that, um, do you remember Mr. Lowe? Yeah. So Mr. Lowe is my uncle. Um, oh. so his, his mother and my mother's sister, he's a cousin, but we call him uncle Ralph. And, uh, in my, he was our JV basketball coach when I was there. So in 10th grade, my cousin crunch, and it, I was down with three of the guards were under the basket. He has, my uncle was known for doing the most physical rebounding drills. Mm. And the drill was basically, I'm going to throw it up to begin. The last person <laughs> to get it, get three baskets is the loser and has conditioning. So I'm in with three like varsity guards, me and another JV guard. And it's pretty much the ball is up, knock somebody down, get the ball, try to put it back in. Cause it was sort of to test your toughness, your physicality, who's going to battle out there. And so I grabbed a rebound off his first shot, put it in. So I'm up one, everybody's trying to score. I think the this other kid, Greg King, he grabbed the ball, put it in. I grabbed it a second time as I went up, he just hit me in the back of the head with an elbow and I went down. So I was like, okay. I know it's a toughness drill, but this is a basketball. So I was thinking when I get up to my feet, I'm swinging. <laughs> I got up. That kid wasn't anywhere in sight. My cousin had already had him against the wall by his shirt and was up. And my uncle was grabbing him saying, let him go, crunch, let him go. And it was just one of those things. It was sort of like a reputation. One, you don't mess with crunch and you don't mess with any of his cousins or relatives. Mm. And it was sort of one of those things that uh, then what made it worse is anywhere we went, now I had to live up to like, oh, he's a Wilson. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really that Wilson, <laughs> you know. But, but I guess I'm gonna have to if I need to throw some hands here if I have to and make sure my cousin. I think I'm a whip here. So, uh, but it, it was good, you know. And uh, it just sort of learned like stand your ground. You you may you may get your butt kicked. You may not. But and it's one of the things that I really, you know, with our guys even playing up to this year, when I can get alumni, whether it's to an outdoor court somewhere. 
I don't always just try to get our good alumni. I try to get some of the ones that I know will cut corners and call fouls and hack and say, I didn't foul because I want our kids to say, Hey, you got to stand your ground. You know, mm. at some point, the game's not about being nice. You have you, there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of an edge to you. You know, that's just the nature of competition, you know? Um, and I, I no other way to say it. it doesn't mean you have to be a dick on the court. You know what I mean? But you, you can go out there and compete and afterwards still shake hands, even though you played with an edge and, and had a bit of nastiness to you. And yeah. so I always try to tell my kids, you know, this isn't a popularity contest. You got to be a little tough and play hard. And I say, I learned the hard way. I said, I'm going to give you a, a shortcut to it. You know, go out there. And I said, be the one to either, you know, basically metaphorically pop the other team in the mouth. Don't wait for them mm -hmm. to knock you to the ground. Be the more physical, be the more aggressive team out there. You know, and I, I feel, you know, it's just something I picked up growing up, running around Amberg, playing on the courts of Penland. And, and it was funny because, when I would play down at Penn Land, it was a, against other cousins. So my cousin Land wasn't stepping in for anything. I was like, hey, that's you and your cousin Milt. Got you're on your own. Out. That's you and this cousin. You're on your own. You know, like, you know, you're both my cousins. So it was pretty much, you know, sink or swim, you know. And uh, so it was always good from that nature. And they were always in an environment at the Penn Land school field where they had scuffled a good bit, you know. Mm. So when I came in, my first couple, when I caught that first one on the chin, I was like, ooh. So that's what a punch feels like, you know, and, you know, my, you get the old cousin shove you back in there. Hey, don't back down. You know, stay in there. I'm like, really? I, I got to continue. He, he caught me. Can't we call it over? And you just had to keep on, you know, stepping up, but it, it was a, it was an eye opening experience, but I always felt it was a little bit, when I look back a little bit insulated because it was your cousins, you know, you knew mm -hmm. you weren't going to get stomped into the ground by somebody who's, you know, you're going to, you're going to understand where you are in the pecking order, you know, and it was getting real quickly established, but you know, it was part of growing up around family in such a big district. And it's funny now coach, I've had cousins come through. I now, you know, now I'm coaching kids of, of players. I want to coach, you know, my, my best player this year is Earl Stout, mm -hmm. you know, Earl's son. And he's just phenomenal young man in the hallway today. I'm looking at a young kid and I'm hoping uh, he comes to the high school, but he's a really talented kid. Uh, Caden Cortez, George's son, you know, wow. and so, uh, and he's been coming to my camps for years, but just wonderful, you know, uh, young men that it's neat to look back and go, wow, I've known these kids since they were babies, you know, and it's, it's, and, you know, with having coached their fathers, it's neat to watch and see the tendencies that they have. Caden, uh, first of all, Earl is a tremendous basketball player and athlete, diff much different player than his dad. And Caden, uh, like George, is one of those kids. I haven't seen all the other sports, but all the kids tell me how phenomenal he is. And you mentioned in uh, George, I still remember uh, when George, either a junior or a senior, talking to Justin Hammond, and they were telling me how good of an athlete George was. And I was like, really? Because I knew he was a good basketball player, mm -hmm. and he just had a, a tenacious uh, desire to win. But I was always amazed that uh, I think uh, Hammond said, if George was to come out to soccer, he'd be one of our best, if not our best soccer players right now. And somebody said, well, if he came out for baseball, he'd be one of our best. And I was like, wow, he's that good of an athlete. And you could watch in the basketball court that he just had certain skills, but I think his best asset, he was such a, just a killer on the court. He just hated to lose, you know, he's very competitive. There were a few kids like that. And that was where like, you know, like I've mentioned, going to play pickup ball. And there was just a clear delineation between my skill set in all of the sports 
and kids like George Earls, uh, Steve Johnson was another one Steve growing Johnson, up yeah. that were just like Fast. incredible. And and I couldn't, no matter what it was, I was always on the B team. I was always, you know, <laughs> co coming in on the second line, whatever it was. Um, and I think that's why I eventually gravitated towards the arts uh, because yeah. at I, a certain I, point. I, when you say that, I, I know your pain. When I was literally middle school, if they had 14 kids, I was number 13 or 14. And I got lucky by the time you know, like I said, I got to ninth grade. I got a little bit better. So I was like eighth or ninth man. And then JV, I was like the starting point guard, but for two years. And I didn't start varsity till I was a senior and play varsity. Like even my junior year, I might've sat on a couple of varsity games, but I was pretty much JV even as a junior. And it just so happened a new coach came in and he saw my potential. And it immediately said, you're my starting point guard. The kid who was a starting point guard. He's like, you're going to shooting guard. And we're, you know, or no, he actually took that guy said, you're going to the bench. This other kid who was a junior became our starting shooting guard and just, he changed our lineup. And, you know, I, I sort of benefited from that. But uh, like I said, I was, I was, there were other guys that there was a guy like uh, his name was, what was the guy, Stevie, you just mentioned uh, Steve Johnson, Steve Johnson. We had a guy in 85 named Stevie Smith. You ever get into the um, high school and see the track records that are still up there. Stevie Smith still holds a considerable amount of them. He won the States in uh, the 100-yard dash and 200-yard dash sophomore, junior, and senior year. And I want to say he placed top three as a freshman. He went on and played, uh, went on to Temple to play football, but he didn't play all four years. Um, but he was, I mean, outstanding. One of the first freshmen to ever play varsity as a ninth grader. It was just unheard of moving a kid up, but he was just so fast. So he did yeah. punt returns and kick returns, and he was just, lightning fast kid. And uh, it just reminded when Steve Johnson came along, I said, man, we had a kid like that. Are you? Cause I remember Steve Johnson was so fast, you know, mm -hmm. and it just, there were kids ahead of me that were just the kid, Stevie Smith was just so athletic, but he wasn't a skilled basketball player. And when the new coach came on, he's like, well, yeah, he's fast and he's athletic, but he's like, he makes five turnovers and then seven <laughs> steals. He's like, that's, that's not a winning combination, you know? And I was a little more, sound and fundamental and a little, probably a, a more conservative pick for him to run the point and do things the way he wanted to be done. And I just was fortunate from there. And then he took me to visit colleges and that's where I went on to play in school. But yeah, you know, just, there, there's just, it's amazing that the athletic kids that come through with the Hickey mm -hmm. and, and the ones that we keep because we lose a lot to the LaSalle's, the GAs, but because it just seems like for them, a better option, they want me. And a lot mm -hmm. of kids are sold on that recruitment they want me and i always tell my kids as being a coach in 27 years we want you too we just don't recruit you you're already in our school you know? right you're here so, what uh what kind of student were you i would say probably a b student okay i, I you know I, I definitely wasn't an a b student i should have been but i think because my parents we all should have been <laughs> right? but i think because my parents were willing to accept that okay you got b's and you get an A here or a C there, okay, fine, you know. Um, they would definitely not accept all C's or, or any D's on anything, you know, because school always seemed to come fairly easy. It wasn't until college that I realized, man, I got to really sit down and study, mm. you know. I, I felt like in high school, I could prepare a night or two before. I could go over my notes, and I was one of those. I, I, I was very calculating. I knew, like, okay, this is a big test. I got to pay attention on this unit. Okay, this unit's not too bad. But if I follow along in class, I I'm going to pick it up and do well. 
on on the test. But um, when I got to college, and uh, I was also one, I wasn't a big partier in high school. When I say that, my senior year, yes. My junior year before that, I really was didn't do alcohol before then. And uh, when I got to uh, college, I was like, what? There's nobody telling me when I have to be in my room. There's no Kurt. Like, so, you know, we were, you know, going out and drinking, you know, Monday night football, Friday nights, you know, mm. so it was one of those things. I ended my first mark period in college with like a 1.5. Wow. And I remember my coach, my coach called me in and said, Hey, he said, you know, if you don't have a 2.0 by the end of the school year, you don't get to come back. And I was like, what? And I was like, huh? And I was like, I knew my parents were paying a good amount of money me to go to this university and I liked the opportunity of playing basketball. I think I had like a 3.0 or 2.7 the next mark period and got my grade up above a 2.0. But that's where I realized like instead of sitting in my room playing video games and we had the old like Nintendo system, me and my roommate drinking a beer, I'm watching one of my teammates walk across the field to the lecture hall or something. Where are you going? He goes, it's quiet over the lecture hall. I'm going to go study. And I'm like, huh, maybe I ought to try doing that as well. Cause I knew he had had a three five the first semester. And it was, that was the first time I realized, like, I got to figure out how to really sit down and study because I was able to get away with just being a solid student in high school with not doing a ton of studying, you know, mm. but I enjoyed school. You know what I mean? Like I, it wasn't like I didn't study because I think it was important. I was just like, okay, I get a B, a B is very good. I don't need to be excellent. You know? Well, when you're at that age and there's always like this pressure to kind of, you know, you were going to Susquehanna, um, at first, what was your, what did you think you wanted to like, you were going to go to Susquehanna and do what, what was your dream? So my job? high school coach, um, the guy who uh, came in, he, his name was uh, Bob Amber. He was an account. He was a, he worked in business and he taught like accounting and all the business courses at the school. And his classes were fun. Like everybody wanted to sign up for him. He was just a, a real enjoyable uh, teacher. And I kept thinking like, man, that's a great, you know, way to go to college. Like, get your degree in business with a certification in teaching or something along the lines of math. And this way, if you really don't enjoy teaching, you can go into the business world and have that to fall back on. Mm. And I remember getting to uh, Susquehanna and my, I think it was an economics course, course that I had. And it was a foreign teacher with a real rough accent. And I'm taking copious notes like I always try to do. And he was saying, and the theory of this and the theory, and I'm writing down T-E-R-Y. And finally somebody next to goes, He's saying theory. And I'm like, oh, geez. And I was like, and I remember thinking like, man, this is killing me. Like I've got theory all throughout my paper. I wonder what's going on here. And then the other class I had was accounting. And we had one of the most attractive counting teachers. And I remember I spent more time watching her walk back and forth across the front of the lecture hall <laughs> than I did taking notes. And I said, man, I said, I just, I can't focus on numbers. It was just too much. <laughs> and I remember I, I look back and now being an English teacher was sick. And I think, we did so much writing. I took critical thinking in writing. I took a composition course as electives. Mm. And I remember walking away from those courses my freshman year and kids being like, oh, he gave me a C. Oh, he gave me into this. And I'm like, what did you get? I was like, I got an A. And I started realizing, no, maybe that's my route. You know, I was like, I really enjoy it. I don't, don't mind reading the books, reading the stories. I don't mind writing the papers. Maybe I should mm. go as an English major. And I changed over to an English major and that's sort of where I stuck. And I and was glad that I did because I love the fact, even now, you know, 20 something years into it and you can, doesn't matter what's going on in the world, you can always bring in an article, you can, you know, if something's going on, there's always something that you can work on comprehension, go into, mm -hmm. you know, using textual evidence and 
you know, bring in what's going on in the real world. So it's not like we only read Shakespeare and, you know, um, you know, other authors, we bring in real world stuff and it's fun to have kids related to what's going on today. And I was glad that I did that. Not that anything against math, but it just, it wasn't for me. I was too bored in my math classes. That's so interesting that you were, and again, that's like something that's common with a lot of students that I've talked to of kind of going one certain path and realizing this isn't it and, and pivoting out. Um, you mentioned then you, you left Susquehanna. Yeah. So my, my sophomore year, my parents got divorced rough time. Uh, both parents were like, Hey, I can't afford school. As my dad said, my mom was like, I can't afford school. So I was like, okay, I got to pay for myself and I've got no heads up. So it's not like I've got mm. money aside that I need to do. So I came home and I went to Monco for a semester or two and, uh, several of my good buddies, my ones that unfortunately corrupted me in high school, they were a year younger than me, uh, my senior year. And they would take me down to South street and, you know, we, we would grab a six of moose head and do stuff. Um, that we probably shouldn't have been doing as seniors that it's definitely our parents didn't know. And, um, and sure enough, uh, one was at FNM, one was at Millersville and I knew Millersville was a much more affordable school. Mm. So after being a semester at home and I had been away for school for two years and I knew I definitely wanted to get a college education. Um, I would be the first in my family, um, to do so. And by the aunts and uncles, my dad's four sisters all went to Morgan and were educators. And uh, two of my dad's uh, brothers went to Morgan and were also, uh, one was in education, the other got his degree in something else. So I knew, you know, out of my family, my sister, she decided school wasn't for her. My younger sister, she hadn't picked any, she was still in high school, but I was like, I, I definitely want to go to school and get a degree. So Millersville had a program that you could go up and take courses. They had a downtown nursing school in, in uh, Lancaster, which mm -hmm. is only five minutes. It's like going from Shady Grove to the middle school. Mm -hmm. So I would go over to uh, uh, to F uh, it was near FNM and to the Millersville Nursing School downtown Lancaster, and if you took three courses and got above a 3.0, you were automatically admitted into the university. And so I moved up there with my buddy who was from Wissick, and I took the courses, was admitted in, and then just started continued on part time, full time. I met my uh, first wife at the time, you know, up there, you know, uh, going up to visit my. My buddy, who I went up there to, to move in with, he called me at the end of his first year at Millersville. It was my first year um, home because he was two years younger than me. Hmm. And uh, he said, hey, can you come pick me up? My car broke down. And I was like, yeah, I'll drive to lunch to pick you up. He goes, bring stuff. He goes, it's graduation weekend, so there might be some parties. Stay the weekend. I went up, and uh, we had great time up there. That's where I met, met my uh, ex-wife, Shelly, and ended up going up to Millersville and enjoying getting my degree from there in uh, English and education. But um, yeah, it was a tough time because when I, I still wanted to play college basketball, but Millersville is division two. And I had gotten moved to shooting guard from point guard position when I was at Susquehanna and going to Millersville, getting my shot off was going to be a little bit more challenging because the guards were a little bigger, a little faster, more athletic, but I knew I could still play point distribute because I was always had the skill you couldn't take the ball out of my hands um and so sure enough uh, one of their coaches came and asked me to be a walk-on but at that point because I was putting myself through school I was like I have to work I've got to, you know I've got to mm -hmm. I've got to support myself like you know and, and there's no scholarship in there or anything like that I, I just couldn't do it you know so you know I, I ended up but I made great connections with the guys from Millersville every summer we would get a team there was a pro-am league down in York Pennsylvania 
about mm-hmm. 25 minutes west of Lancaster. And we would go in there and it was one of the most amazing experiences because for me as a pretty much a division three guard playing against guys from Towson, guys from East Stroudsburg and guys that would come from all over. I mean, I was on a team. We had two seven footers. We had two guys that were six, eight, six, nine, a six, seven score. And a, like two or three guards that were over six foot. And we came in like fifth in that league. Like wow. it was just it was that competitive of a league. And it was with the Millersville guys. So it was, it was kind of fun and getting to know those guys. A lot of them I still keep in touch with through social media and stuff like that. So even though I didn't play, I still sort of kept up with the basketball team and playing with the guys. And, you yeah. know, but I was just a guy. And because I was the one working, when the summer came around, they're like, well, you've got money. Can't you pay our league fee? And I was like, all right, I got the league fee. I said, but that means I'm a starter. <laughs> you know. <laughs> where, where were you working uh, while you were in college? Man, I did some crazy jobs. So uh, I remember I worked, my I, my dad was a landscaper by trade. So I grew up doing landscaping um, all around, Lower Gwinnett, you name it, around the Montgomery County. Hmm. But my dad, a lot of his customers, Fort Washington um, and throughout Montgomery County. But so I knew that's a skill I had. I could I could you know, do anything. And I went for a, to a large uh, landscaping firm called Stauffers of Kissel Hill okay. and did there. But that was, it was actually even excavating and re- regrading properties for new homes, which was a little bit above. My dad was more of, hey, we cut a bunch of lawns, we plant some flowers, but this this was a really cool uh, job where I learned a little bit more. And then I worked for a medical company, which uh, I think it may still be Apria Healthcare now, but it was Homedco. And I delivered home oxygen to uh, emphysema patients and wow. patients that had lung cancer. Most eye-opening experience I ever had, because you know, I grew up at a time at WISP where, you know, outside the downstairs cafeteria, there's that open area outside. Yes, yes, yes. That was an area when I went to school, students could go out there and smoke cigarettes with the teachers. Right. And (laughs) as long as you had a pass from your parents, you could go out there. It was so crazy to see a a high school student like, hey, what's up, Mr. So-and-so smoking a cigarette next to the teacher. But as long as you had a pass from your parents, you could smoke out there. You could. And, you know, the hills of smoking weren't really expressed or established in the media like it is today where they know like hey this can kill you and uh working for that health company going inside of homes where people i mean literally they were like do you smoke no don't ever do it and it was like that i was like this is what they should put on the commercials like i said kids would never touch it you know the cigarettes if they saw this because it was just it was killer man it was just uh it was tough and a lot of the patients that i would deliver for and i did that job for a year and a half almost two years you'd have a patient for three months and then they were gone. Mm. And that was tough because you, you're there at their house once a week, sometimes twice a week, giving them something that they need as a necessity, getting to know them. And then they pass away. Mm. And then you're having a moment sitting in your truck on man, poor Betty or poor this person. And it, it was a, a really humbling experience. And I was like, man, it, it really made you appreciate what you had in life and what you're doing. So it was a unique job, even though it wasn't high paying, the people you encountered, the people you lost, it, it was a unique job from that aspect. And uh, so I, I ended up doing that job when they had in Lancaster and then they opened a branch in York and they're like, Hey, we need drivers that are willing to drive, go to York and open the York branch. I was like, I'll do it. You know? And so I did that. And when they opened one in Harrisburg, uh, I did that as well. So I was with that company for a while while I was putting myself wow. through college. And then I, I finished just as I was doing my student teaching and uh, finishing up, because uh, I it, I went 
part-time for about five years. And I finished up my last year by doing full-time when I had to do my student teaching. But I was working for uh, what was called Barnes Hall Juvenile Detention Center. Oh, wow. And that, that, yeah, that, was a, that was a unique job. We had a max capacity of about 25 kids. And it was a full, you know, 24-hour facility. So I would work like third shifts. I would work like from uh, 11 at night or I think it was like 10 at night till like six in the morning, go grab some breakfast and I would go do my student teaching mm. and prepare my lessons and then go home to sleep. And thank, I was blessed at the time. My, my ex-wife, she was great. I had a daughter uh, born at that time, right as I was finishing up. Uh, so it was kind of neat uh, to finish that up. And as soon as I finished uh, college, I literally graduated in December of 95. I was working in January. Um, I had met a couple of principals that were like, hey, as soon as you're done, come see me or before you're done. And they hired me even prior to. Between Susquehanna and Millersville, you mentioned going to Monco. Monco yeah. always had like this stigma. Uh, and for me, I, I went right to Monco from Wizahicken for, for two and a half years and got my associates. But mm-hmm. um, I've definitely had some apprehension and and a little bit of like embarrassment of like, yeah. oh, I'm going to Monco, 202U. What was the yeah. vibe? What was your feeling? What was the vibe of Monco back then and your feeling was, of coming back? It was back? very similar. But the, the other part was you were going to college. So that yeah. was sort of seen as like, okay, you're still going. But, the, you know, I've learned over the years, you know, that, that sort of ideal that we have, it's because it's in our backyard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like for us, it's it's like you're going to – was taking 2.0, you know what I mean? But if if you talk to kids from Souderton, Norristown, they're like, oh, I'm going to go over to Monco down the road. But because I think it's so close to us, we take for granted that there's a community college that's right there in our backyard that it's in our district that anybody can go to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, but for me, it was like, I, I had no problems going there. I loved it. It was very laid back the, the two semesters um, I was there. I knew I wanted to, because when I came up through the one uh, issue that I had was we had a lot of athletes, especially African-American athletes that came out from 80 to probably 87 um, that didn't go on to college, didn't go on to play anywhere. And um, I was like, man, I know I want to do more than just, you know, hang on the corner, hang around Amber and just, you know, not really do something you know, with my life, I said, I want to have a career. I want to have a more substantial job. Um, and uh, it was one of the things that when I came back as a coach that I wanted to see, not only all of our kids succeed, but I wanted to see more of our African-American kids, you know, succeed and know that, hey, I'm going to start with your ninth grade. You need to get your grade straight. You need to make sure your books are tight so that if that opportunity comes along, you're ready to go. It's so funny. You mentioned that um, last year, we had probably one of the best players in the suburban one league kid, Matt Compass. And his grades weren't where they need to be, but he was a standout this year at Monco. And next year, he's probably going to go on to either play in the PSAC at a nice Division II school or possibly a low Division I school. Tremendous athlete. But, you know, it was one of those things like, hey, if, if that's your path, that's your path. Hmm. And, you know, we go over and follow him and watch the games. And Monco has a tremendous facilities now. Their school is continuing to grow and build. And I, I think that idea that used to, I think so many WIS kids would struggle with is now sort of like, hey, whatever I can do even to save money, some kids will say, I'm going to do two years to get my, you know, some courses out of the way at Monco that I know mm-hmm. will transfer and then go to a major university and save some money that way because the school is expensive, you know. 
Did you ever think that, did you ever think about going into college to be, you know, division one basketball player, try to get drafted NBA? Was that ever when you were a kid in your thoughts? You know, or- there, there were times when I, you know, was in college, I thought like, man, you know, th- this would be an interesting path to, but I, at playing at Susquehanna and playing, we played against like Bucknell every year, which was D1. And they're more of an Ivy League D1. They're not the Temples. You got a real understanding of how physically good, how physical and how good the next level guys were. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like still when I played, I could shoot with some of the best of them, but I couldn't be 6'3". Mm-hmm. I couldn't jump like they could. You know what I mean? Like my 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 best dunk were starting dunks for guys that that, you know, I played against like, like, oh, how cute. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> my, my dunk, like, oh, you you got like a starter kit of dunks. Like, you know what I mean? That like I had two or three little tricks that you do, but they were coming out reversed in and three. And you yeah. realize, like, oh, they're just at another physicality, another level of the, the way they played the game. And so I, I was like, okay, so playing in the pros, it might not be for me, but I figured I love being around the game and coaching would be the next. I even at times thought about what would I do college level when I had it several good buddies that uh, were coaching at the college ranks. One was down South and he had coached at York where I did my first teaching job. And uh, when he got to a really nice D2 program down in South Carolina was like, Hey, what do you think? And I just, I I couldn't see uprooting my kids and moving, you know, across. And I was one, I had such a great community experience in Ambler, you know, growing up in our community. I just like, nah, I, I, I'm going to stay put. I like where I am. I like my job security and I like my kids get to grow up and be, you know, in the same district that I went through, that my dad went through and grew up in that same community. So for me, it was a good fit. And I think who knows down the road, maybe when I retire from teaching, I live now in Collegeville and um, Ursinus College is right down the road. I may look to assist or do something there, you know, next level, but Playing as a player and going to that level, I, I think, uh, you know, playing my first couple of years of college, I realized how good the next level. First of all, Mr. Lowe used to always tell me, you got to get stronger. You got to get stronger. And I kept thinking, no, I'm a finesse player like Dr. J. I don't need, I'm going to finger roll. I'm going to go around. And I still remember my, my first college practice. Our center set a screen on me. And I think we were Monday in practice. It was like Thursday when I got off of that screen. Like I was there forever trying to fight through the screen. And it just, I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are so physical. Even at the D3 level, I went to the weight room that day and like, you know, be started lifting on a regular because I didn't realize how physical mm. the game was at the next level, the contact you take and just the pushing and, and shoving that goes on, you know, it was just, uh, it was an eye opener, you know? And I remember coming back to Mr. Lowe, my uncle Ralph was saying, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> I was like, Dr. J must be pretty strong. I said, because I've tried the finesse stuff at the next level and it just, it just doesn't work. You got to have some strength to your game. Back in 2012, we had a uh, Tano Passanio who's now playing for the saints was with the chiefs and we had Jordan Reed. And I tell you for all the years and even probably still to this day, uh, not right now, I probably say last three years since COVID, I stopped playing as much. I could get out in the court and push around. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Being 240, I, I could get a little physical with the guys. I'm not going to play them, but I could get out there and go, look, you're not going to push me around. You get a good look. I'm going to foul you. And I could get out there in a, in a practice up in the mess with the guys. I still never forget the first time I went out there to, to push Tano. And that's where I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, 
and he had already signed with Nova at that point. I was like, so this is what a, a D1 athlete feels like. Because, I mean, I wasn't budging him. I was almost afraid if he swung an arm left or right, I'd be over in the locker room. Like, he just was so physical. And I remember turning to our other coaches and saying, because the other kid, Jordan Reed, wasn't much different. Jordan was 6'4". And, I mean, he was like a LeBron in high school compared to most high school kids. And I kept thinking, like, we might not ever see two physical specimens, athletes like this, again together. Like, they were just that good, but they were just so physically stronger than everybody. And that year, we went 19-3. and three, And it was physically caused. Nobody had two guys as physically put together and could play. Like, Tano wasn't a great basketball player. He was really good. But, you know, that was sort of his second or third sport like clearly he did shot for track and did football but he was just such a good athlete that when he got out there on the court if you had somebody that could guard tano it was like who's guarding this other phenom they got who's physically put together and you put your best most physical guy on him because you couldn't just grab any skinny guy to mm. guard either one of them because they were just physically you know put together and just i was like yeah i can't push them around and practice like somebody else get them you know well, that's like matumbo yeah. on shack Right, right, right. <laughs> Barbecue chicken, as he would call it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just guys that big, you're just not, you're not moving them. So, uh, you mentioned your kids, two kids. I do. My son Chase is 26, just turned 26 in March, and my daughter is 30. Uh, she'll be, I'm sorry, she'll be 30 in May. Okay. So, did they, did you have them through their, through their years? It was, oh, anything? yeah. So, what's funny is, uh, yeah, I mean, I've coached them in WRA, I coached. My daughter's soccer, a lot of the kids, girls that she graduated, I coached when they were youth athletes. So when my daughter came through, she was on a different pod through the middle school. When my son came through, he was on the same pod, but had a different English teacher. Because in the middle school, you have like, um, I think when you guys went through, there was a reading teacher and an English teacher. And we went to two English teachers, a science, math, social studies teacher on a pod. So with the, the English uh, classes were smaller by number mm. and the kids could get more individualized attention. And we did that. I want to say it might've been a few years after you had gotten through. And um, so my son had the other English teacher was on the pod. So yeah, so I would see them every day when they came through the middle school and in the high school, I coached my son, which was a unique experience. My daughter was my manager for four years. Wow. So, yeah. So um, my, my worst year playing was uh when my dad coached our team, we were, uh, I think as someone else just recently referred to a team, uh, we were defeated. Uh, we, we didn't win a game. Almost won. I remember we almost won a game. Uh, we lost by one. My dad thought we had won and he's like, yeah, we got one. I'm like, dad, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. Um, and I, I took criticism, you know, especially in sports horribly from my dad. What's the difference between coaching all these other kids and coaching your son? Well, that, you know, what's funny is uh, I, I I feel very fortunate. I, I When my son really took, like, I, he was a football player all the way through, coming up, youth, everything. Good athlete in a lot of sports, but I thought as kids, he loves football, he's going to be a football player. Played quarterback, linebacker for AW football. Played on a team that was undefeated, unscored upon. You know, had a couple of championships. I was like, that's his sport. And then around middle school, he said, hey, I really like basketball. I want to get better at basketball. I said, well, okay, well then you probably need to get involved in AU and find an AU team where you're going to play at a faster level. And uh, he already, he goes, I already have one. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. And his cousin, my, my cousin crunch, mm -hmm. his son, Purnell, who was two months apart from my son, Chase, was already playing for an AU program. And so I put him on the same team. And within a year, 
the guy who was coaching them pretty much was going, the parents were a little bit upset because he was disorganized, but they were like, we're going to go our own separate way. And I spoke to him, I said, look, why don't you take the two studs on the team? Those that are going to defect and try to go elsewhere, I'll try to pull them together and we'll have like, you know, we, we weren't an A plus team, but we were a B plus A minus group, mm. you know, cause he took a kid who ended up going to Auburn, another kid, like there were two wow. other studs on this team. And I said, I'll coach him. And that's who I started coaching my son um, there in AAU. And then when he came up to high school and taking, when I took him in AAU, not knowing all the backgrounds of AAU, I'm one that dots the I's across the T's. I want to make sure whatever tournament we're in, they can't say you can't participate because you didn't fill out this paperwork or do this. They had a thing called the Positive Coaching Alliance. Uh, it was an online thing that you were supposed to take um, before you coach any AAU. Really in AAU, as long as you say I'm the coach, they really don't stop you. As long as you've paid your money, they don't stop you. But I went through it. And there was a great section in there that said about coaching your own child. And I took it to heart. And one of the best things it said is that you need to establish that basketball is basketball at home's at home. And I always try to take that to heart and realize that, yeah, no other kid has to go home and, and be within, you know, a couch earshot of me. Mm. No other kid has to go home. And when I'm watching video, hear me go, God damn it. Why don't we do this? You know, so I can't, you know, pick with him. So pretty much, you know, if we had anything to say or dispute there at the gym as, as coach and player, mm. once we got in the car, I love you, son. We got to, you know, leave that behind. And it really worked well. And my son, because he had had such a strong background in football, and I think every day the guys who coached him in football, they were tough, they were good um, for him, and they never took it easy on him. He was one that could take a good bit of yelling. And I had to tell him right up, I was like, look, I'm going to need to be tougher on you than anybody else. And he sort of gave me a look. I said, if any of these kids for any reason think that I'm giving you the benefit of a doubt, as you're going to be the most hated guy on your team because they're going to think like, oh, he gets to get away because he's coach's son. Mm -hmm. And that team, though, we had the kid Tano and we had the kid Jordan. My son ended up that year being our point guard. And uh, there were a couple of times where he might have thrown the ball away or something. And, man, I ripped paint off the walls yelling at him in the huddle. And the first thing he saw was one of the guys, Jordan or Tano, put their arm around him because I was so tough on him. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying him into the car. I said, do you remember when I got on you? He goes, yeah. I said, what happened? He goes, Jordan put his arm around me. I said, yeah. I said, it's better to have them on your side than them against you. I said, so know that I need to be that guy to you often. And it was tough because when he went, my son was very fortunate that year that we went 19 to three, he hit some big shots for us. One of the best games I've ever coached. We played CB West in the most packed gym I've ever been in. Like it was ridiculous. It was, there was perspiration uh, coming off the ceiling. It was wow. so hot and humid in the gym. And it was a double overtime win to get to Temple to play for the district final four. Um, and uh, my my son had two huge shots in the overtime. And uh, I, I remember in those games, like, I, I can't cheer him any different than I cheer anybody else. You know, mom and dad in the stands, I would have been going like, that's my kid. But as you're coaching, I'd be like, hey, good job. Let's get back on D. And I remember one of my son's close friends uh, who was down at Temple in his sophomore year, he messaged me and said, hey, coach, he goes, I just want to say thanks for the years of coaching me. He goes, and he goes, and I was talking to another buddy. He goes, I, I never thought about how tough it must have been to coach your own son. Mm. 
Mm. And it was one of those ones where I was like, wow, thank you. Cause it was, it, it's, and not tough from the aspect of coach, but it's, it's tough not to, it's tough to not cheer your own son, but still let him know. I'm so proud of you beyond just being my player, you know, and it, yeah. it, it was a balance to have. And it was just, uh, it was unique. And I'm excited. He's one of our assistant coaches now and helps out with the team. Cool. And, uh, you know, being our, our probably Matt Comp is the kid at Monco scored a thousand, but prior to him, my son was our most recent thousand point scorer. And so the kids take to and listen to what he has to say, because, you know, he he's done this. He's played the game at a very high level. You know, he's carried team, you know, to a state tournament and help have major victories. One of our great victories that we always love bringing up and we always get text. Uh, you ever watch the Phoenix Suns? Sure. They've got a kid, Mikhail Bridges. Mm -hmm. So when Mikhail was at Great Valley, we were the, we got, we had to win our last game to get into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And the, the uh, reward we got was to go play Mikhail Bridges at Great Valley. They were 20 and two. Is that where he's from? Like Malvern, Great Valley area? Great Valley, yeah. So oh. he, they were the number three seed. And we were the 30 seed and we beat them. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And what, and it was one of those things. So every time Mikhail won a championship at Villanova, we were cheering him on, but all the guys from Wiss on the team would be texting. Yeah. He didn't do that against us, you know, and we'd always joke, but uh, a real classy kid. I got to know him after the fact there, but it was just one of those things that it was such a neat moment to experience. Not only it was with my son, but four or five of the kids that were on that team, I had coached since WRA days wow, together. And yeah. so it was really neat, you know, seeing these kids and we would post pictures after that victory heading into to districts in the States of those guys all together as WRA players, like in fifth, sixth grade. And now, you know, playing, you know, against, yeah. you know, future NBA, Mikhail Bridges and, and great guys. So, uh, uh, where'd you meet your, your wife, your second wife you, you mentioned, right? Yeah. My second wife. So, uh, it's funny, my the year my son had his best year of basketball was the year I ended up uh, going through a divorce, and um, I was you know trying to figure out okay it was it was a it was a tough divorce it was a tough you know uh, breakup and my buddy who was at Millersville who I went moved up there with said hey I'm I'm going out to Tex Mex over in North Wales and he said you know uh, Barry's going to be there and I'm like Barry Ray Barry Ray Rudolph he goes from back you know. Uh, when we were in high school, he goes, yeah. And I was like, man, I haven't seen her in years. And it was an old friend that he had dated, you know, back before he was married. And so we went to Tex-Mex and we were hanging out over spring break about 10 years ago. And uh, we started chatting and I was like, hey, you know, we should hang out. She's like, hey, pal, you're married. I'm like, not anymore. I'm not. And, you know, and uh, we just, she's like, oh, and she was a teacher. She was teaching in the city of Philadelphia at the time. Oh. And, uh, you know, I was teaching, I said, hey, we have spring break open. We hang out and we sort of went from there as just being friends. And then we went on to, you know, like, hey, let's go catch a movie. Let's do this. And, you know, we sort of just really enjoyed each other's company and, you know, it became more of a, a couple, you know, and. Uh, so she was from Ambler too? She was from Hapro. When she finally graduated high school, she worked for a little while at a couple of restaurants and then her and a girlfriend, which I always still think is amazing, decided they wanted to follow the sort of grunge band scene and wanted to move out to Seattle. Oh, wow. And they just hopped in a car, the two of them, made it halfway across the country, ran out of money, <laughs> waited tables for a couple of weeks, stayed with a friend midway through, and then made it the rest of the way out to Seattle. And then she ended up putting herself through school years later. And uh, 
became a history teacher. And then she did a semester abroad in Ecuador and then a year in oh, wow. um, Costa Rica. So, yeah. So, and then she eventually decided she wanted to be closer back to her mom and her brother and her family. And she moved back. And that time when we were at the uh, Tex-Mex was like maybe her third year back or so from Seattle. And we just sort of connected and uh, she wasn't, she didn't want to really marry. She'd been single her whole life. And, you know, and then uh, after we were together about five or six years, she said, Hey, you know what? My sort of ideal on marriage, I think has changed a little bit. She was like, I think I, I would like to get married. And I was like, I would too. And uh, about, four or five years ago, I proposed and uh, three and a half years ago, we got married. So oh, that's and, a great story. Yeah, it was neat. And uh, she, it's awesome. My, my kids call her their bonus mom. You know, and we have a great blended family relationship with my ex-wife, Shelly, who it's, it's always funny because my, uh, my ex-wife, you know, the, the mother of my kids, she's a huge basketball fan. Mm. And uh, her and her boyfriend still come to a lot of the West games. And he's a great guy played at Kutztown. And it's funny, she's still the intense person that yells at the refs. And every now and then I would get a ref going like, isn't that your ex-wife? And I'm like, yeah, he's like, she still comes to the games. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, well, she knows other kids from the community. And so I know my, my wife, my ex-wife, my daughter, they all sit up the stands. Rolling and deep people, at the games. Yeah, they're like, I don't know how you do that. I was like, it's a whole, I said, you ever see the movie Blended? I was like, that's sort of one of those scenes. You know, we all get together and. You know, we all, we all get along. So it's a, it's been a blessing. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. At what point did you think, uh, so you, you, you finished teaching, uh, you're teaching classes. At what point were you coming? Did you decide to come back to Wizik? And you had mentioned that there were a couple principals that reached yeah, out. So I, I tell you, it's a great story. I ended up at um, York, you know, city schools, teaching at Edgar Foss Smith Middle School and when we knew our daughter, when Logan was getting closer to age to go to school, York was, I, I loved my time in York, but York at the time, I think it had the highest percentage of hate groups per oh, capita or something like that wow. for, for the county of, of like any county in a bunch of places. And I was like, wow. And I was like, I don't know if this is the place I want to raise a biracial kid, you know? And so my, my ex-wife uh, and my wife at the time, Shelly said, well, we should look back towards Philadelphia. And I was like, well, Wissickens is a great area, but we didn't know if we could afford being in that area. You know, I was on a starter's teacher salary. She worked in sales and I, I took some interviews. I interviewed at Soderton. Um, and I forget what the other school was. And then in Wissicken and I Soderton offered me a position and I verbally accepted. And the next day, Mr. Schneider, who had been my middle school principal called and said, Hey, we'd like you to come in for an interview. And I was one of those guys, hey, I gave my word. I can't do that. And I remember my, my wife at the time, Shelly, saying, you don't owe them anything yet. Like, you just gave a verbal. You can go take the interview. That's where you've always wanted to be. Is that your alma mater? Like, and I went in, I did the interview, and they offered me a job. And Soderton wasn't happy. You know, I think they were also trying to, they didn't have a lot of teachers of color. So they were thinking, man, got a, a male teacher, English teacher. And so they weren't happy. But I was pleased. I was going back to Wissick and where... You know, I grew up, you know, born and raised. And so that that's sort of, you know, where I came to. And then I sat out my first year from doing any basketball coaching. They asked me to coach baseball. And I was like, I don't know baseball. I stopped playing in like seventh grade. They're like, get hit. They're like, but you know, kids, you can coach baseball. And I went over to Tim Stokes, who 
who I graduated with, Mr. Stokes. And I said, Get out. Yeah, oh, we had classes together. Yeah, Mr. Stokes and I. We and what's really great is when I was playing high school basketball, we had a group called the Fun Bunch. That was our fan organization. And he was part of that. So they were the crazies across the court, you know, always cheered us on. So we were really good uh, high school friends. And um, I went and asked him, hey, what should I do, you know, drills-wise in baseball? And I basically picked up how to break down practices and things like that. And then I ended up getting the JV position. And I wasn't sure um, when Jack Spinella got sort of moved out, the head coach, mm-hmm. um, it, it was – I didn't like the way in which it was moved out. There was some accusations of racism and stuff like that. And I don't think that was it. And I was sort of like, Hey, if you want the guy gone because he's not a good coach, that's one thing, but to besmirch his characters Mm -hmm. or, you know, say something like that about him. I said, I don't think that's right. And I sort of was like, I don't, you know, I really didn't want the position and they had already pretty much told him they weren't bringing him back because they, the administration wasn't going to help support him against these accusations. And so uh, Danny Coppolella, Earl, and they was Finnegan. It might have been Brady. They came to my house and were like, Coach, you got to take the job. And I'm like, guys, I'm not feeling good about this position. I'm, you know, like, I, I love to yeah. coach you guys, but like, I don't like the way, you know, Coach Spinell was moved out. And I called my, my buddy that I played college ball with from Susquehanna. He was coaching at Allentown College at the time. He said, Look, he said, if the opportunity is there for you to take it, he goes, Take it do it the way you feel it's right. And he goes in and if things go a different direction, they go a different direction, mm-hmm. but at least you did your best to, to, you know, do the job the way you feel it's supposed to be done. He goes, somebody else may get that position and you may not get this opportunity again. And I was like, huh, it's an interesting way. And I, I really feel like I was blessed in that situation. We were seven and 17 under coach Vanilla. And the next year we went 17 and seven and flipped the season. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where like, Hey, you don't want to do too good. They're going to expect this all, all the time now, but I was really blessed that he had played so many sophomores and we had a great crew coming in there. And man, it was just such a great experience coming in, teaching in the community that I grew up in and then coaching. And uh, we moved into Bluebell over near mermaid swim club. We were renting mm-hmm. a house over there. And my neighbor was a, a lady, Mrs. Kent, who used to be my, but now it's family consumer science, but it was home ec teacher when I went through. And she's a WISP alum, graduated with one of my uncles. And she was like, hey, when I move out of my house, she goes, I want somebody that's going to get use out of the pool. And we were like, you know, like, let us know. And we end up moving one door over four years wow. later. Right there in the same street, same community, you know. And uh, Mrs. Kent, she was the, uh, the, was she the sewing or the, te- or the cooking? I think she did cooking. Yeah, yeah, cooking. I remember. Yeah, yeah. taught me yes. how to make biscuits. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so she was great. And I, I, I went to school with with her sons, and uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was just a, a neat. Like everything just seemed to work out right, and we were raising our kids in a community where we knew diversity would be accepted. Because where we were in, we were just below York City in a place called Leader Heights, nice area and everything, but it just wasn't as diverse as suburban Philadelphia area and that we just knew we wanted to be somewhere where our kids felt comfortable would have a good experience and you know I I feel blessed that they got to go through Wissick and and probably even more so I always feel like my my son and my daughter have had to have you know 50 to 75 of the best big brothers you know from the basketball guys that that have Mm -hmm. raised them and 
through the camps we've run and stuff like that. You know, I would still remember my daughter when she was a freshman at, at Wissahick and my high school guys knew like, Hey, if anybody is trying to date or hit on my daughter, <laughs> if I'm not the first to know, you guys are going to run to know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was one of those things where she always had somebody like, you know, Hey Logan, who's that you're walking with? Shut up. You know, like I'll tell your dad, you know, so we, we had some fun with it. I wasn't That's that overprotected, but yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. Uh, you know, my dad's black. Uh, my mom's white. Um, they were always, you know, my mom especially was always like very involved in the school district. Um, I remember she was on like a, a committee in middle school for like multicultural diversity to have mm -hmm. other removed as a race option for standardized testing and, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, for you just, as a parent of biracial kids, what's been your experience? Um, I think, you know, now so much more progressive. I always like to make the joke that for me growing up, like there was no Drake. It was like me and Lenny Kravitz when I was right, a kid. Right, like we right. were the only ones out there. Yeah. Uh, what, what's been your experience with your kids growing up? I, you know, I think they're very fortunate because they came through not only, you know, does WIS have the diversity that it's always had. There have been many biracial kids that I think, you know, my kids could identify with or relate to as they came through with the Hicken, you know, um, even, even coach Brody and I would always sometimes joke that like, I was looking, I was like every year I'd have like two, if not three, you know, biracial kids on my team. And it just so happened to work that way. And so they always, I think my kids felt very comfortable. And even where there's times where, you know, it's tough as a teacher because you know, racism exists, you know, there's going to be teachers that don't quite have the same views you do about race. And you have to learn as a faculty member and as a parent to say, okay, how do I handle this? And a lot of times it was sometimes teaching my, my daughter, my son, like, okay, if this is how you feel, here's the path you need to take, you know, like, and it's tough for me to step in because I work there, you know, you need to talk to this person, you need to talk to your guidance counselor. If it goes beyond that, then I'll get, and it was trying to help themselves advocate for themselves when there was a situation um, or if there were a situation where they felt, you know, like an other, or they didn't feel, you know, part of something. But um, I, I felt like they were always, had a good experience and you know it was always a good conversation i don't know if chase brought him up because i think sometimes boys just ah, they move on and chase would just think that teacher's a jerk or he would use another word for it where my daughter was one she was a you know student council kid she was one heavily involved in you know all the school functions when she found a teacher that she found was not up to par it was like i don't get why that teacher's not doing this or i don't get why that mm. teacher's making this remark or treat me this way or not electing, you know, or won't elect me because of this, or she felt color was involved. And um, we had great conversations about like, you know, hey, this is gonna also help prepare you for real life because you're gonna get mm -hmm. to college and run into professors that you're gonna be like, what in the world is this guy saying? Or what in the world is this lady saying? And you have to be able to learn how to handle that. And I would share with her my experiences. Like I said, when I went to Susquehanna, there wasn't a lot of diversity and, you know, I, I still remember, um, you know, being on the court, you know, and being called the N word, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it, it it was one of those situations where I, I usually, I mean, it wasn't the first time it happened, but it happened before out on the court, stuff like that. Whereas when you're in a college game back then, suspensions and things didn't happen like they did. You just got mm -hmm. kicked out of that game. You played the next game. So we were up 20, 
guy used it and I, I took a swing, you know, people jumped in between and afterwards in the locker room, and I told the coach what happened and their coach came over and said, oh, I talked to my player. He said he didn't say that. And I said, yeah, he would say that. And I said, what, what do you expect him to say? Yes, right, I called him. And we're, I was like, you think I'm just making that up? I was like, you know, we're up 20. I got no real reason to take a swing on your kid. I said, but he said something I thought was across the line. And I had to shout. And it is just, and I remember feeling a, a little bit on my own out there, you know, because, yeah, my teammates had my back. But I was like to my coach, I'm like, are you believing this? And it was one of those things, like, I had conversations with my daughter about that. Like, you're going to experience that somewhere along the line where something's going to happen where race is an issue. And, you know, you, you have to be able to try to deal with it with, with a cool head, you know what I mean? With, without, without losing, you know what I mean? Your yeah. instincts, your, your anger comes up first because you can't believe somebody used such a horrific word or something that, you know, was, was used to demean and to hurt, you know, mm. Uh, in I never had, I think, uh, kindergarten, first grade, third grade, fourth grade, all black women teachers, never wow. had a, never had a male teacher until sixth grade with Mr. Winokur, but never, yeah. ever, ever My teacher had as well. Yeah. You too. Mr. Winokur. Yeah, did he have, Winokur. did he have the super carols when you he, were there? Yes. Oh, the super carols. Yes. I was about to ask. I think I was going to age myself by saying the super carols. But yep. I forgot he had those. He had them at the middle school, right? Yeah, yeah. Six I kept C-pop. thinking, like, oh my gosh, he broke those down at Shady Grove and brought them to the middle school. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I had Mr. Winterker. What an awesome guy. So, so you know, for me, I never had a. I, I I don't can't even think of like black male teachers that I ever interacted with. Um, for you, I and I, has it changed as far as the numbers? Do you feel any type of responsibility as a? I mean, you talked a little bit about like from the players your player's yeah. perspective, um, just from a, a teacher perspective in, in this school, do you feel a responsibility? And, and in, I didn't have one until I was in middle school and it was my shop teacher, Mr. Johnson. And I, I think in high school, there was Miss Davis, who was a African-American English teacher. I mean, there wasn't a ton as well, but yeah, I, I always feel one, you know, as a black male in the school and also as a teacher of English, you know what I mean? It was one to also, there's, I, I think there's, there's always that idea that I, I need to, one, you know, um, set up, be a role model for the kids there because, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, whether it's, you know, African-American kids or any kids as being a, a just a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a coach in the district. Uh, I'm a, a member of the community for so many years. I always felt that, but as, as a black teacher as well, you know, I, I, one, I was, I felt we always needed more diversity in our school's teachers. And it was neat to sit in on some different equity uh, seminars and Zoom meetings and talk to other schools. And there's now at the middle school, there's Shannon Gumby, um, Mr. Klein, myself, and there's at least uh, three other African-American men in the building. And the other schools are like, what? You have six in your school? And I'm like, they're in schools where maybe they have one. My wife who teaches at North Penn at Penfield there's one other African American, there's one African American teacher in her school. She teaches science there. And I was like, wow, that that's, you know, that's a lot of burden because when there are issues, kids will sometimes come and, you know, it, the weight of that comes on you. They're like, okay, well, let's go talk to guys. I feel very fortunate that there's Mr. Gumby, there's, um, there's Miss Tracy Raleigh, there's uh, Mr. Klein, there's individuals that they have as advocates and individuals that they can talk to when they do feel a situation is a result of race, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think WIS has done a better job of also 
hiring um, Asian teachers, you know, and, and, and trying to make our school more multicultural. I still think there's a ways to go with that. And there's still areas that both the middle school and high school have to get better. But I, I think they're trying to do, you know, what is right to make a district be representative of their community. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's one of the things I think uh, I talk about a lot with students is a lack of understanding in other mm -hmm. cultures. And that, yes. you know, we just look at ourselves, a lot of our, our the things that we would say and talk about and do and, and our opinions of, of students was just based off of ignorance. You know, yes. I didn't I didn't have Asian friends. I didn't understand the culture. Asian students have talked about, you know, sometimes how hard it was to invite people over to their house who weren't of yeah. their culture and explain mm -hmm. why they're eating this or why they're doing that. And, yeah. and these were things I never, so it's cool to hear that they're, you know, one, I think that comes with diversity in the teachers yeah. because they're the only ones that know how to teach those. And, and a great thing that the school did when my son was coming through, I remember he was in 10th or 11th grade and I don't know if they still do it um, because I think, you know, with the ideals of clearances and things of that nature, but they had them have dinner at somebody's house that's not of your culture. Wow. And so my son, where we were living in Bluebell, there was an Asian family right behind us. And I walked over with Chase and we said, hey, my son has a project for school to experience somebody else's culture. Would you mind having him over for dinner? It's a weird thing to ask to your neighbors, but, and they were like, absolutely. And he went over and they made some traditional Korean dishes. And, you know, and we came back and he told us what he did. And I was like, and I, it's funny, I saw somebody with a t-shirt on, it was either today in school or somewhere along the way, and it was a great t-shirt that said, make friends with somebody that doesn't look like you. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's, that's a great way that we break down what you just mentioned, that ignorance of not knowing and getting to know people of, of different cultures, because you're right, it's, you know, ignorance is, is where a lot of our issues come from when we don't know or we're not willing to, you know, understand somebody else's perspective and, and look at look at things, you know, after walking a day in their shoes. And I, I think that it's just such a great thing. And I think, like I said, it's one of the things that I feel fortunate that teaching in a school that's so diverse, having Muslim kids and, you know, kids of all different cultures, religions in our school, you know, I've gotten to learn and be open and experience a lot of different, um, you know, just cultures from, from multiple and here where they travel, you know, yeah. and, and what they do on their summers. It's just, to me, it's just eye-opening. It's, it's very neat. And to know that my kids were able to go to school and have friends that, you know, well, you know, they're traveling here or visiting family in Israel or doing, you know, it's like, wow, you know, it just expanded into my daughter. When she did her study abroad at Temple in uh, London, like none of my family members, I'm, you know, like I said, my dad's one of eight and all the way. Nobody else has done that up to that point. And to see my daughter be one of the first kids in our family go on to study in another you know, country, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was really cool. So that's cool. You first in yeah. your family to graduate college and then your, your daughter yeah. first to study abroad. Like that's, you yeah. know what I mean? Seeing those little. Yeah. It, it was really groundbreaking, neat, you know? but I want to go back to, to Mr. Whitaker. It was funny. Yeah. So when I went through Wissahickon, um, we had multiple elementary schools. So I went to Springhouse elementary school, which is now Gwyneth Mercy's elementary school okay. right down in Springhouse. And then that was like first through second grade. The now the administration building used to be Lower Gwinnett before they built that new Lower Gwinnett building. Mm -hmm. So that's where I went for third and fourth grade. And then every kid in the district went to Shady Grove for fifth and sixth grade. Mm -hmm. 
And in fifth grade, that's where I had Mr. Winokur. I, I tell you what, it's where I also, I think, really learned uh, a joy for reading. I remember I read The Hobbit, I think it was, in fifth grade. Now, I don't know if it was the full version. It might have been an abridged version. But I remember him either reading The Hobbit to us or we read it there. And we could always lay in the comfortable super carols. And, you know, it was, you go up there for reading. And just, I remember having a great experience uh, with Mr. Winter. And it was neat when I came back to teach to see many of the teachers that I'd had, especially like Mr. Winokur that, uh, you know, that I was like, wow, I'm teaching with some of the teachers that were my inspiration to go into education, you know, so. Yeah, was I was really gonna enjoyable. ask, what's that? Uh, so yeah, I, I actually did a similar, uh, my path was Madison Avenue, which was K through three. Yeah. And then going to, to Shady Grove for four and five. Okay. Uh, before going to middle school. But for you, what was your experience getting back into the, like now these, these teachers that you were calling Mr. This and Miss and Mrs. That, and, and are, is it a hesitation of like oh. first names oh. and, and do I go into this teacher lounge and still, still, uh, I still always remember Mr. Cavanaugh, may he rest in peace. He would always say art, call me art. And I was just always like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm just like, it just, you're always going to be Mr. Cavanaugh to me. Like you were the guy that I remember he taught high school social studies, but I think there was a year where he was at the middle school and I would always come by and in his room as a associate teacher, when he didn't have class, we had the, the old big TVs that were up in the corner of the room, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the big tube TVs and he would have on like CNN and he'd be working at his computer. And I was thinking like, that's what social studies teachers do. They watch world news as when they're in their off periods, like how boring, you know, the middle school student, like I'd have one, the Sixers, or I'd have one ESPN or something. But I just always remember I, it was so formal. And when I came back, he was one, one of the nicest guys. And two, he would always just, I was like, hey, Mr. Cavanaugh, like Art or mm -hmm. Arthur. And I was like, okay, Mr. Cavanaugh. <laughs> I was like, I just couldn't bring myself to say it, you know? So, uh, and it's funny now being a senior member in the language arts department and there's new teachers. There's a guy, Sean Stovall, who went to uh, spring uh, Springfield, Montgomery County. Okay. And he's my son's age 26. And teaching now uh, sixth grade in our middle school. And every time I say, Sean, he'd call me Kyle or call me coach. He's like, all right, coach Kyle. And he, like, he's got to put coach with it. Cause he just, he just can't say Kyle and call me by my first name. I was like, that's fair enough. I said, I'll take coach Kyle. So, but you know, and so I know he, I, it's funny to watch somebody else go to the day. Cause he's always like, you're Mr. Wilson or coach Wilson. I can't call anybody anything else. I was like, when did I get that old that they're struggling to call me by my first name? So that's funny. Yeah. Um, I always love to talk pop culture, um, and I'll give you the option. You can pick your time at Wizahicken, or you can pick your time teaching at Wizahicken, since that was okay. my era. Yeah. Artist, favorite artist, music, album, band, anything that you remember of that, of, of that ilk? Well, I'd probably say uh, my teacher, Jay-Z. I'm a Jay-Z guy. Nice, same. Um, I, I, I love, I also enjoy Drake. I was very fortunate. Two things happened in the music. Mm, uh, well, this has been a really good talk, Coach. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I, I like. I, I've always been a Jay Z, and I. My daughter, uh, about twelve years ago, right when I first started uh, dating my, my wife, um, got us tickets to go down to uh, Jay Z and Justin Timberlake down at the Legends of the Lincoln Summer. The, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you now. My wife is one. Like I said, she's one that followed the grunge scene. Pearl Jam, like she's been to concerts, concerts, still to this day, she says it's the best concert that she's ever been to. And it was just, I mean, we danced in the aisle, you know, and it was right there where Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake were hitting that sweet spot of just 
music you could dance to, you could feel good, but it had the cutting edge of Jay-Z and it just, uh, it, it was, so I'm really a huge Jay-Z fan. Um, I, because I think of the current age of my players and my son, like I, I enjoy uh, Drake as a more modern one. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I don't know if there's ever be another Eminem, you know, like there's, there's certain, to me, icons of rap, the heavy hitters that just, you know, like they hit in the era when I came through, they're like, man, you just, their music. I, and when I was coming out, my high school days, it was Run DMC. Right. You know, and, and to see where rap is, and not only was it Run DMC, it was an era of, we had to argue constantly and debate that rap was music. Like, right. you know, there were kids a lot and it, uh, that were like, it's not music. It's not because a lot of the kids I went to school, it was rock and roll. It was, you know, things like that. And they were like, rap's not a thing. And we were loving, you know, hip hop and the rap culture that was coming out at that time. And uh, we would actually, at football games, guys like uh, Will Smith, you know, uh, Fresh Prince, DJ, DJ, there would be flyers coming around that people would hand out in the football stands, will be performing at Sheltonham High School, at, oh. you know, this high school. And so you would get those and you would try to beg your parents, can I go see this? And it was a lot of young kids, mm. Very few chaperones and these DJs and, and guys that would get up and just mix and rap. And it was it was a cool era. So when I got to Susquehanna, I remember guys on the basketball team, we would walk across campus to the frat house or coming from frat parties doing run DMC. One guy <laughs> doing the beatbox and somebody else doing, you know, Peter Piper, Pick Peck, and Rum Rap Rons. And they would just go through and rap the whole way back. And we were just like, it was like a, a great time. And so when we got to the more modern rappers that, you know, were just doing so much significantly more with their rhymes, with their end rhymes, with their, you know, internal rhymes of what lyrics they were putting together. It was like, wow. Like, you know, it just was, you know, it was, it was just really cool. And just the depth of what they were saying in their lyrics just was always yeah. so cool. So. Uh, yeah. Favorite Jay-Z album. Uh, Jay-Z is my number one guy too. So favorite album. Uh, probably the black album. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm one. I love, I love today's modern technology because I like going through and just popping on the Jay-Z channel on uh, Pandora or going to, on to Apple music and, and going and just listening through. And, and I was also a huge public enemy fan. Oh, like, you know, okay. It was, it was an era of like, this is music I can listen to, but my parents better not hear me because there's some cursing there. And it was, there was such a political consciousness to it about, you know, fight the power, you know. And uh, to me, one of the great songs was uh, by Public Enemy, Welcome to the Terror Dome. Yeah. And uh, we always thought that was a, a battle cry because we played in the Dome Gymnasium at Wissahickon. <laughs> and so we would always like try to talk, let us play Welcome to the Terror Dome, you know. And we, you know, us, the tough Wissahickon kids that we oh, were, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> and some of us, some of them living at the end of cul-de-sac, you know, but, you know, we were like, we're going to be the rugged, rough kids. Let's play some public enemy. Yeah. And, from the uh, bad streets of three Oh nine. Right. right. <laughs> so, but it, it was just, you know, those were, were, you know, artists that I really enjoyed, uh, you know, coming through. And obviously culturally Stevie wonder, Michael Jackson were, were ones that, you know, if they came on the TV, man, your parents scream, get in here, mm. you know, and you, you watch them because, you know, in the seventies and going into eighties, going into high school, there, you didn't always get to see a ton of, black artist on tv and michael jackson who became the king of pop was one 
when he was on TV, your whole family sat around and just watched, you know? Yeah. So were you like the, uh, that was always like the lore. My dad was also big. My soul always hear about like the Motown 25 when he did yeah. the, the moonwalk or when thriller came out yeah. and like everyone yeah. sat down in front of the TV and things like that don't happen as much anymore. And, and I, but I, and I even tied into the pop culture of then of watching, you know, a Sanford and son or watching the Cosby's. And, uh, I, I tied in, I, I loved seeing you have Hank Jones on and, um, uh, you know, knowing he's worked with Blackish and now uh, with Grownish, and then uh, what's the one he's doing now? Um, Bel Air. Bel Air, and just it. I just think that's so neat. You, you talk about you know six degrees of separation. Hank's father and his uncle Warren, they were some of my dad's first employees. My dad, like I said, was a landscaper by yeah. trade, and so Hank Senior and his brother Warren and a bunch of those older guys that were when I was like seven or eight would be out in the front yard during the summer, ready to work, cut oh, lawns. Wow. Hank's dad became a pilot, stuff like that. But my dad would always have the night before Thanksgiving. You know, a lot of people go to PJs or go something there. Mm -hmm. They would all come by my dad's either on Christmas Eve or the night before Thanksgiving, and they would have beers with, with Mr. Calvin or Mr. Wilson, who was their first job employer and stuff like that. So oh, it's cool. neat to see where young Hank has gone on. I'm like, man, look how that kid's grown and just, you know, Blossom is such a great, you know, writer, young man. So I was like, what a neat whistick and, you know, just watching these young guys and now being a part of creating a new pop culture, you know. Any movies from that, from growing up that were like big for you? Anything, Eddie Murphy was huge for us. You know, 48 hours, trading places. Like we just, you know, the I still my buddies that are whistick and guys, we're actually meeting PJ's tomorrow night to do a little watching of the NCAA tour or Thursday night for the NCAA tournament. And uh, I mean, we still, there's certain lines that come from uh Beverly Hills cop or yeah. 48 hours that we still can, can, you know, we'll repeat, you know, and we know exactly where it's from. There's one uh, great line. I was always a bit of a practical joke. Like I said, and uh, they would always go, yeah, Kyle, I'm not falling for the banana and the tailpipe trick. <laughs> and that was an old Beverly Hills line where, Eddie Murphy was making fun of the guys. Oh, you're not falling for the banana and the tailpipe trick. And it just, it was a line that we would always use. And it just, those, those movies are just still, they'll, they'll, they'll never be old for us. And the one that probably tops it, Scarface. Oh yeah. We would watch Scarface like over and over, you know, again, you know, the whole drug scene, the mob scene, the cartel and all that. We would, we would watch Scar because it was sort of a one that as a, even in high school, you weren't sure you're were supposed to be watching Scarface. You know? Oh my God, Everybody the bathtub scene shooting, with the chainsaw. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, so the season just ended uh, mm. about a month ago. Um, you know, when I think back to the the basketball program when I was in in high school, um, I remember, of course, you know that I remember that flip uh, yeah. when you, when you guys had your had your real successful season. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I was in like tenth or eleventh grade, mm -hmm. um, but you know, I remember like. Right before that was, you know, when Kobe Bryant was was in the area and and he yeah. would play teams and um and it never it, it would feel like for like maybe the playoffs games were like would get big for Wizahicken but then you know when with Kobe and then as Le you follow like what LeBron was doing you see like there's these really big high school programs who have to rent out these these stadiums um, but then over the last couple of years you know you talked about like the the cheering section that Mr. Stokes was kind of like, you know, in charge yeah. of. And I started following, I, I realized that Wizahicken has like a fan group 
Yeah. And I started following. F-A-N-Z. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, and I started following them, and I started following Earl, and and just seeing yeah. kind of the the craze that's that's the team really has, the program really has that for me. Yeah really only existed when you know when you were just starting out only existed for the football team right and to see now that the basketball team from you how have you how do you see the program has grown in the last you know 10 15 years and where do you see it going in the well, future as sports gets huger I, I think you know we've been consistent and our battle is constantly the pendulum swings back and forth and right now it's swinging a lot towards the private schools they snatch a lot of our, our kids and our talent but what I always love, and uh, to me, it's, it's a, always a great feeling. I love the community kids that want to stay and play. And, and I'm always wanted. It was great. This year, our second game of the season, we played Germantown Academy. Their starting center and their best player in the game was a kid I taught in eighth grade. We would go back and forth and talk trash. He was a Cowboys fan, Eagles fan. So it was, I had to keep a straight face. I mean, we talked not every day was a joke about Dallas and Eagles. And the kid, Blake Smith, a uh, great kid. Um, it was nice to, we beat them, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? One of their guards was also a kid who was their best uh, eighth grade player when he came out of the middle school. So, you know, I look and go like, man, you could have been a part of what we have here. And, but they had, like I said, kid went on great education, great. Mm-hmm. So I'm one, like, I'm glad that our kids have that opportunity to go on and sometimes play against those that left for greener pastures and say, hey, look, you could have been part of what we're doing well here. This year, I always say about every three or four years, we have a uh, a season to remember, you know, and I think that's what a community high school team should be. Now, our big rival, Upper Dublin, obviously, they, they had a, a huge downswing. They've been really good uh, the last couple of years, so we've been competitive. We split this year. PW has always been really strong, but a lot of their players aren't from their community. You know what I mean? They get a lot of kids in in 10th grade, 11th grade. Um, legally as as they would say but you know uh, but i've always been one you know with kids and parents we even say well how come you know you don't do that why don't you get kids from you know that come in from philly or whatever i said i can't imagine having a kid that's gone through come to camps gone through our middle school come to watch high school games get to his 10th grade or 11th grade year ready and worked his butt off he's been loyal to our program and saying you're going to sit because this kid from Shelby. Upper Marion or <laughs> Methacton or Shelby is going to come. I even had a, a parent call me the year that we went 19 and three, the best player for Sheltonham, his dad called and said, Hey, I'm really thinking about bringing my kid over to your school and playing it with us. And I said, look, I said, I really appreciate that. It's flattering. I said, but I don't feel comfortable right now digging in Brian Johnson's backyard. That's the coach there. I said, I wouldn't want somebody doing that to my players. We're a public high school. I said, if you move and you're in my district and you want to talk, that's fine. I said, but what we're doing right now, I said, feels pretty unfair. And it's really, you know, you're not supposed to be doing it, tampering with another team as a public school. Because if he's moving, it's supposed to be for academic reasons or, you know, because they have to move, not for athletics. And I just remember thinking, I know I could sleep well at night knowing I didn't have to move. I mean, like I said, it's a 19 and three team. We had really good players. Mm-hmm. I would have hated to see one of those players who thinks like, man, I'm going to be a starter on a great team sitting or being sixth man or seventh man because we brought somebody in from another school. I'd rather win with my community kids because it's. I think it's something neat and special when they can look back and see their years from WAC 
or where maybe they were the 14th guy at the middle school and now they're a starter and they've made something of their high school career. You know, we've, we've been fortunate to play in the state final four a couple of times in the district final fours, you know, and have great seasons. And I really think the group that just graduated, I felt bad. We ran into a Norristown team that just, we had them down by eight at halftime and then we couldn't, it was a, a Achilles heel of us all year that we would have games where we just struggled to score points mm. for a quarter and a half. And after scoring 28 in the first half, we scored eight in the second half and lost to Norristown who went on to play, you know, in the district, either final four championship, went a couple of games in States. We ran into a good team and, and, and lost to them by 12 points, you know, but I think because we only had three seniors, you know, the group with Earl, who's a phenomenal player and some of the other supporting cast around him. We had a very young group. Uh, one of our kids, Dom Vacchiano, is a uh, sophomore. He'll be a junior. His dad played for Wiss. He's behind, he was 10 years behind me. So it's neat. These are kids yeah. of Wiss Hicken parents that I think is great that are now playing, you know, for their same high school that their parents went to, you know. There's something to me that's special about that, that they're watching their kids play in the same building that they played in, playing for, you know, in the same colors and having a chance to hopefully do something special. I feel blessed to be able to be their coach. So sort of a fun thing, you know, to watch that. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, coach, this has been an awesome conversation. And whether you did it intentionally or not, you know, I, I told you, you know, you said 85 and I go, oh, you know, I was two years old. So it's nice that you put in there that all these kids that I, I played grade school with, now their kids are playing for you. Yeah. So turnabout it's is really fair is. play. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's not lost on me when I see a kid come through, like, wait, did I coach or teach your parent? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's wild. So. Wow, man, this has been a great conversation. Um, yeah, I appreciate it so on. much. Yeah, absolutely. Very honored. Very oh, honored. This was like, yeah, this was like really, really interesting. You know, again, like you all, you coming in after I was, after I was already in the high school um, yeah. and just seeing it from the, from a fan perspective of the, of the games. I did like, uh, uh, I think like at my junior and senior year, I did some of the play-by-play. -play. So like that was for WTV. So that was like, oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah that was, awesome. yeah, it was like the bulk of like what I got to. So I didn't really get to know you very well. Um, and just again, seeing you on Facebook and following the team, um, I thought it was gonna be a really interesting conversation, but I never knew how deep your roots really went here yeah. or in, in Ambler. It was a Hicken, uh, and including with your kids as well. Yeah. Well, you know, and like I said, and to me, one of the neat things is I, I, I love the fact that when I talk to an Eric fence to mock, or when I talk to a Matt Brady, and when I hear like, hey, you know, how's this? And they still are connected to some of those guys. I always say, I feel like I've done my job. Like, because you know, look, you may never win a state championship, but really your extracurricular sports should be more than that. It's the mm -hmm. connections you made, the battles you had, the, the friendships, the time you supported a teammate or you helped a teammate to overall. And I always feel like when I go out and I go to a PJs or I go somewhere, I still see those same guys connecting and communicating i think like man what a great thing because i still communicate with a lot of the guys i went through from mm -hmm. my community that went to wis and this past uh winter was neat drew moyer came yep. up from atlanta and he gave me a call we've been trying to connect for a while right before the pandemic it didn't work and so we met at pj's and it just so happened we met after a saturday practice and so when we walked in over at one of the tables was at least seven to 10 of my basketball players. Wow. And one of them was Earl. And so I walked over and I said, do you know who this kid is? And he's like, no, nah, I'm not sure. I said, 
that's Earl Stout. He's like, oh my God. He's like, I played with your dad. And it was neat to see, you know, connecting those dots for an alumni who like, they, you know, they played three years together. Mm-hmm. And now he's looking at my starting point guard who he played with his dad. And I was wow. like, man, I think, you know, I, I feel blessed from that aspect to, you know, still see those guys and hear them talk about. And that's why I always love watching your, your Instagram posts and your reels of, you know, we were in high school, we were friends in high school and thinking like, man, that's neat to hear their stories and their, you know, cause I'm an educator, I'm a community member, I'm an whistle alum. So I always feel like hearing those stories are special to hear the great experience and even some of the rougher experiences that kids have had going through with. So I yeah. think it's, it's all part of that experience. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. The last thing I, I do want to do real quick now, because you're a middle school, you're not in our yearbook as no. faculty. But I do want to flash you uh, because I always like to give people a little look of themselves from back in the day. I'm nervous. I know, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, me. Bill, Billy Richardson. Have you ever interviewed Billy? I haven't gotten a hold of him yet. Man, that's, I, that's one person. I, I All those guys, I still... Tommy Ganjemi's come out the games. Joe Brown, I used to run into from time to time uh, in Ambler, you know. And and now uh, Ann Hammond, I always want to say Ann Patterson. Right. And Justin, I, they bring their kids to my camp. I see them all the time. Just uh, It's neat when I look at that that picture way back when and uh, see a lot of those faces. And, uh, and Billy's still the one that I uh, threw uh, Kepper. I always like, man, as a, and they'll always tell me what Billy's, doing i was like man i said you got to tell that boy at some point when he's in town to let me know i'd love to buy him a beer and see how he's doing but uh yeah it was a great year a lot of fun so many big kids bill bill drew evan guys that were just like these huge you know i was like six two you know six two two hundred plus pounds but like yeah those are the guys that would just like i would just go they look like they're grown they look like they're 20 (laughs) you know and big evan oh may he rest in peace man i love that kid i i I always used to remember people would always say to me like how come you don't do this? I said, look, there's only so much you can make a kid do. He's got to want to do the rest. And I would come into practice and Evan would be laying on the, on the high jump mats down the corner or do something. <laughs> but yeah, he'd step on the court and hit every shot. I was like, if we could just get his conditioning, you know, to where he could get up and down the court, big E. And I remember following his whole rap, you know, uh, career, you know, E-double. E-double. Yeah. yeah. So that's funny. You describing that, that was like the first half of Embiid's career. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> absolutely absolutely great stuff oh man well coach thank you again so much this has been a lot of fun my pleasure my pleasure always great talking to you absolutely we'll keep in touch and uh you know you'll you i guess you start to revamp for the next season and uh take it from there yeah we start next week so we're looking forward to it awesome well thanks Thanks, again brad thank you take care take care all right that was coach wilson great story such a nice guy I feel lucky in the few instances I've had to talk to teachers about their path, uh, Mr. Hood, Ms. McCracken, and now Coach Wilson. But this is only the second one where a teacher has actually started at Wissahickon as a student and then come back as a teacher. But of course, a very different path for for Coach Wilson than Ms. McCracken. But it's really intriguing to get to know them on, on just such a different level than what I knew of them 20 years ago. I mean, Coach Wilson and I have the same favorite rapper. These are not conversations that you know I was having with my teachers when I was a student. So I really enjoyed these episodes especially. And don't forget, youtube.com slash redshirtplaya for full video of this conversation and a lot more. Throw me a subscribe. In two weeks, I will be back with another guest. I'm pretty sure who it'll be. 
but there's a chance I'll switch it up last minute so you can find out for sure before the episode airs, usually on the weekend prior at We Weren't Friends in High School on Instagram and Facebook. All right, that is it for me. I will talk to everyone in two weeks on a Monday morning. Later.